Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin. His name is Aaron McIntyre. You'll learn some other names uh, as we proceed today. People that we will talk about, talk to, like my buddy, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, who's got a brand new book out called Body of Proof. We'll talk to him about exactly what it is he's trying to prove. Uh, At the bottom of this hour, we'll get into some fake news or not. Pop Culture Tuesday, I'm going to share with you just a a sample because I have gotten a ton, but just a, a sample of the reviews we have gotten back for my movie Nefarious hitting theaters in 31 days, I think it is, April the 14th, 31 days from today, crazy, um, that that is uh, coming up on us now so quickly. We waited and waited and waited for so many years, and now that it's here, it's just like the time is flying by. So, uh, of course, we did our first screening in suburban Detroit over the weekend, got an incredible reaction. I'll share some of that with you coming up in Pop Culture Tuesday. I also want to share with you, I got an email uh, from Janet with a picture of her four dogs. Um, we have four stinky dogs, three big black labs, and an old mini schnauzer. I try my best to keep them up uh, as with their grooming or keep up with their grooming, but let's just say after a meal, they have bad gas. I was overmatched, she said. <laughs> Until I took your advice with the Eden Pure air purifier, and now she says it's like I got my house back. All right, that's our friends over at Eden Pure with their incredibly popular and so far. Um, with this audience, highly successful thunderstorm air purifier. Right now, you can save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm three pack for whole home protection. Three units for under 200 bucks. That's a fraction of the cost compared to the other purifiers out there that go for well over 600, if not more. And with this special offer, you're getting three units for under 200 bucks plus free shipping, plus free shipping. With the discount code Steve at EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code Steve at EdenPureDeals.com. So thank you to Janet and her stinky dogs. We now segue to Aaron and his rundown, which may or may not be smelly, of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by He's Running. Fox News host Tucker Carlson sent a questionnaire on various issues to every major potential GOP 2024 presidential candidate. One of those, of course, was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Last night, Carlson read the governor's response to a question regarding the conflict in Ukraine. It's DeSantis's first foray into foreign policy. Here's what he had to say. Quote, While the U.S. has many vital national interests, DeSantis writes, securing our borders, addressing the crisis of readiness within our military, achieving energy security and independence, and checking the economic, cultural, and military power of the Chinese Communist Party, becoming further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia is not one of them. Without question, he writes, peace should be the objective. The U.S. should not provide assistance that could require the deployment of American troops, or enable Ukraine to engage in offensive operations beyond its borders. F-16s and long-range missiles should therefore be off the table. These moves would risk explicitly drawing the United States into the conflict and drawing us closer to a hot war between the world's two largest nuclear powers. 
that risk is unacceptable. Meanwhile, Donald Trump was in Iowa yesterday. But you have to remember, Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan, who is a rhino loser who currently is destroying Fox and would constantly vote against entitlements. He would just vote against, remember that, the wheelchair over the cliffs, the Democrats used it. The wheelchair over the cliff commercial, very effective. That was about him. But Ryan, Paul Ryan's a big reason that Mitt Romney, I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, lost his election. And to be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. So I don't think you're going to be doing so well here. Joe Biden took a pot shot at DeSantis as well for his opposition to gender ideology being taught at school. A transgender kids is a really harder thing. What's going on in Florida? is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. Nancy Pelosi, your thoughts? He's absolutely a magnificent leader. He is um, younger than I am, so I don't know what the... Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer says, golly gee shucks, mister, maybe we locked down too hard. In terms of, you know, there were moments where we, you know, had to make some decisions that in retrospects don't make a lot of sense, right? Um, if you went into the hardware store, you could go in the hardware store, but we, we didn't want people, you know, all congregating around the gardening supplies. People said, oh, she's outlawed seeds. It was February in Michigan. No one was planting anyway. But... Um, that being said, you know, some of those policies, I look back and think, you know, that what maybe was was a little was a little more than we needed to do. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. told podcast host Jimmy Dore that Anthony Fauci was put in charge of developing biological weapons for the Department of Defense almost two decades ago. After a few high profile lab leaks in America, however, Obama ordered him to shut them all down. But he didn't. He instead moved his stuff offshore to Wuhan, where he could do it out of sight of these 300 scientists and nosy White House officials who were trying to shut him down. And they continued to do it with Ralph Barrick, the same people he was funding here, Ralph Barrick and Peter Dayzak, and they moved their operations to the Wuhan lab. And now's the part of the montage we call Narcissism Incarnate. This is a dude named Dylan who thinks he's a woman, appearing on Drew Barrymore's TV show. It's interesting because I look at someone like you, and I can't imagine anybody disliking you. Oh, please. Do you know, do you want to know, ironically, who uh, dislikes me the most sometimes? Who? Myself. Oh, me too. Oh. And, but, I guess, you know, you've asked me now, like, you've asked me, like, what I would do to combat the hate, right? Yeah. But what do you do? Okay, that's a great question. Now, I started... And now this. Scientists in Japan, Japan, like demographic winter Japan, Scientists there say they've successfully created mice with two biological fathers by generating eggs from male cells. Kyushu University lead researcher Katsuhiko Hayashi said, quote, Purely in terms of technology, it will be possible in humans even in 10 years. 
adding that he personally would be in favor of the technology being used clinically to allow two men to have a baby if it were shown to be safe. Learning the black speech of Mordor today, today's phrase is, Carpathia, is that you? And finally, the diversity, equity, and inclusion scam deprogrammed and dissembled in about one minute. I, I grew up as a white man, and you're, you're the exact opposite, you know? And so it's like my experiences are going to be different from yours. How come? I think, uh, you know, there's a thing of, like, white privilege. Uh, what privileges do you have that I don't have? Oh, see, that's a question I keep asking myself because, like, in this day and age, like, all the laws, I say all the laws, you know, I'm... It's hard to speak on something I'm not fully knowledgeable of, so like I'm sorry if I like make a mistake uh, in saying this, but it's like, like, uh, hmm. Don't you think it's a problem in society when white people think that they have more privileges than brown or black people? Yeah, and I think that's sort of the agenda that's pushed off because personally, it's like, not that I think I'm more privileged than anyone else because I had to work to get where I was, and that's like the... So why do you have that mentality immediately where you, you know, kind of apologize to me, like, let's talk about privilege, let's talk about I'm a white man in America, so we could have grown up differently. I got you. Why, why is that your first initial reaction to me as a brown woman? Wow, you're getting me good. See, these are the kind of conversations that I love having. Um, and I think it comes from a place of, like, uh, I wouldn't say caution. But, like, in this day and age, people are so quick to judge and react and cancel. And so I guess it's that, that like, caution to go into an interview like this. I'm like, I, I don't know where we're at. But now I know where we're at, and I can, like, uh, go for real. That's journalist Savannah Hernandez, who does some fantastic work. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Hell. Uh, also brought to you by our friends over at Tyga Coolers. You may need to cool off uh, after that excursion into the bowels spring is allegedly almost here like next week or something doesn't look like it outside here in the midwest but when it eventually arrives you're going to want a veteran owned cooler company with everything made right here in the usa from actual american workers as well fantastic coolers they can customize them with something, a memento to your family. Um, it could be your corporate logo, uh, pictures of your kids, whatever you want to put on there. Um, you have a family crest. Okay, they can do that for you as well. Go to tigacoolers.com. That's T-A-I-G-A, tigacoolers.com. And uh, you can design one for you, your family, your friends, your clients, or just say, hey, you know what? I just really want a really good cooler. Can you just give me one of those? And I don't care what it looks like. They can do that too. Tigacoolers.com is where you want to go. Use the promo code Steve for 10% off when you do at tigacoolers.com. Coming up today in our overtime, we're going to discuss a new, it's a Gallup poll, correctly? correct? Yes. Yeah. All right. A new Gallup poll that shows about uh, almost a majority of Democrats believe that their lives will never return to normal after what happened almost three years ago. What it'll be three years ago, Thursday, uh, when the country shut down uh, with COVID about uh, almost it's almost half, almost a majority of Democrats say their lives will never return to normal. And a majority of Republicans say that their lives already have. And what exactly does that mean and portend? We will get into that in the overtime today for Blaze TV subscribers only. And if you would like to become one, go to blazetv.com slash dace. Again, blazetv.com slash dace. It's just 10 bucks a month to subscribe to Blaze TV so that you don't miss any of our exclusive content or don't get blindsided the day that we get colossally canceled by big tech. 
Uh, that's blazetv.com slash dace. We'll record it right after the show, and then it will be posted there today at blazetv.com slash dace. All right, we're going to get into um, what Trump had to say about DeSantis uh, yesterday in Iowa. We're going to get into that, actually, in fake news or not next hour. So I, I want to table that. Um, I do want to say, though, that we had CPAC a couple of weeks ago, the Iowa visit yesterday, just analyzing this politically. Forget about the substance. We'll discuss more of the substance next hour, okay? But analyzing politically, the last two major speeches I've seen Donald Trump give at CPAC and then what he, what he had to say in Iowa yesterday are the best he has looked in consecutive efforts in years. Years. I mean, he has, he is bringing his A game. And it's, it's also fascinating to see that he's, he's going to run as if he was never president. Now, I think that there is a sizable audience that will be very receptive to that. Because there is no Trump ideology. Told you that from the beginning. Trump is a reactionary patriot. He loves the country, but there isn't a worldview there in the traditional sense. Based on a plumb line and then a moral value system that comes from that. Um, The worldview is art of the deal. And so what happens when art of the deal meets a guy who loves the country, you get a reactionary, meaning he's just reacting to the things that at the time either he thinks you care about or at the time he cares about. So that makes him a very difficult opponent in a primary to defeat. Does not make him a difficult opponent in a a general election to defeat, as we saw last time, especially when he installs policies that allow you to harvest ballots and steal elections from him. When he does that to you, when he just hands you the ballot, when he hands you the the means, motive, and opportunity to to stuff ballots and steal elections. Not that hard. Um, When Joe Biden had no concern at all about alienating any of Trump's voters whatsoever, he absolutely demolished him in the first debate that they had, which was really a great endorsement for Adderall. But in a Republican primary, that will be a difficult task because you can't do that. You're going to need at least some of those MAGA voters, some of them, or people who are soft MAGA, maybe. There is, there is clearly a, a, a large swath of people that believe He's their last best political hope. And I I frankly don't blame them for believing that. Yes, he's a narcissist. Yes, he's an egotist. Yes, he's incredibly frustrating at times. And yes, he will gaslight. And yes, most of the time when he picks a political fight, it's based on his ego and not a higher principle. But often his ego actually, the interest of his ego lines up with your interests. And at the very least, you're getting the only fights that you've ever gotten for 30 years from the Republican Party. So he's going to run. It's pretty clear. At least that, that's how they're going to try it. Now, they may reboot. You know, I watched him reboot, you know, in, in, in 2016. He was going to really originally run as the manager, the guy that could put China in their place. Nobody cared. They got bored. Then he found out that the immigration issue was the one that really lit 
a fire under people, and he became the immigration hawk. So he rebranded. So the first, the first thing they're going to do is act as if he was never president. They're not going to go back and relitigate what happened in his presidency, particularly from March 16th, 2020 on. He is going to run as if he is, he's never been in office before, doesn't have a record. And he's going to take very well-defined and popular positions on the issues we care the most about. And then he's just going to trust that a large enough plurality of Republican primary voters either won't bother to reconcile that with his record as president or won't care because they just love him on that much of a level. And then in the end, when you get to the general, you won't have a choice. You'll vote for him and he'll find a way to win. That, that's basically the strategy they are mapping out. I'm fascinated by it. I don't know if it'll work. I suspect it will work in a lot of places where you don't have as informed of, a, of an electorate as you'll have in Iowa, for example. So it, I, I think it's a fascinating tactic. I am, I am intrigued to see if that will work. And one thing I learned on the Cruz campaign in 2016, there is a large swath of low-information Republican primary voters. Large. Particularly when we have open primaries. I mean, if you look at where we won originally in 2016, we beat them here in Iowa in a caucus, which you you could come and register as a Democrat, change your registration on caucus day to a Republican and participate, but they had their own open primary or caucus that same day. So it was basically just Republican voters. We beat them here. But then Cruz did not win again until the Oklahoma primary on Super Tuesday. Why is that significant? Because that was the first closed primary of the entire primary cycle, meaning only Republicans could vote. And if Trump is going to run on that, it may cause DeSantis to change his strategy. I think if I were running DeSantis's campaign, what I've got to contemplate is how many people truly want to litigate. Let me put it, you know what, let me take a step back. Let's put it this way. What I need to, what I need to, what I, the, the calculus I'm doing if I'm on the DeSantis campaign is I have to get to a plurality of Republican voters too. And so what I need to know is how many people can I reach by contrasting my record against his, because my record's better. It's better by any objective measure. You couldn't possibly make an intellectually honest case that Trump's record is better than DeSantis's. But not a lot of, you know, who knows how many people care about that? I don't know the answer to that. I know how many people care about that in Iowa. I, I don't know how many people care about that in Alabama. I don't. And one of the reasons I don't is because I, the last camp candidate I worked for that went up against Trump and Ted Cruz didn't have a record. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He had been a senator for only a couple of years. Republicans were in the minority. And so really, in both cases, with Trump and Cruz, you were projecting what you thought they were going to do. But Trump had far more executive experience as the head of his own empire. Cruz had none. I mean, he was an ideologue. I mean, he started off as a conservative attorney, a constitutional conservative attorney, then became solicitor general of Texas, um, and, you know, then became a senator. Okay. And his greatest accomplishment as a senator was a filibuster that shut the government down over Obamacare. But he had no real record of accomplishment. So I don't know. I've not worked for a presidential candidate that had this kind of a defined record, let alone one as exemplary as DeSantis's. So I don't know the answer to, I don't want to, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know how many Republican primary voters are going to truly contrast records or care. Now, I care. And that's what we're going to do on this show. You know, but there may be a lot of people that I, I don't I don't know the answer. I don't know how many Republican primary voters are like, I, I can't hear out of my ear because I took I took Trump's jab. But I still think he's the only person who can save America. I don't know the answer to that. There may be a ton. We're going to find the beauty of it is we're going to find out because it's it's clear that Trump is taking DeSantis's challenge very seriously. He, this is the best he has looked in a stretch in several years, even going back to when he was president, in my opinion, anyway. He's in charge, he's in command, and he's letting it rip. And I know that there's a lot of criticisms from people like our friend at, uh, you know, at, at Chronicles, Pedro Gonzalez, about the Brooke Rollinses and those sorts of... So these, Trump is not giving speeches at the Brooke Rollinses and Jared Kushner's. These, they, they, they aren't writing these speeches. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're not. As is, this is not their stuff. This is this is hard. This is like J Jack Posobiec is writing these speeches. Okay, this is this is like he you know take out the DeSantis stuff and Trump is writing the speeches I would write if he asked me to write them. So I mean he is he is dishing out red meat and it's red 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 red. Okay, so uh, he ain't ready to get King Saul quite yet. And I think the DeSantis people, what they'll have to figure out once they get into this race, which still won't formally, which still won't be for a few months yet, what they're going to have to figure out is how many people, and I, and I, again, I don't know the answer. I'm just, you know, thinking through this live on the air as we're talking about it. They're going to have to consider how many people are willing to have an, a conversation about the contrast in their records. And if it's enough, then you base your strategy on that. If it's not, then you're going to, frankly, have to have more of the Fox News electability argument. The guy can't win. And then the problem with that argument, you have to ask yourself is, if I start making that argument, you know, Trump's loyal, Trump's base will dig in its heels even more. But do I reach, do I reach the suburban conservatives who would not vote for Kerry Lake and, and Scottsdale. You know what I'm trying to say? And again, I don't know the answer to that. I don't. I don't have a clue. I'm not sure anybody does. You know, I'd have to probably talk to my buddy Chris Wilson, who did our outstanding job doing our data for the Cruz campaign. He would know that this is what he does for a living, is, as, is look at data that answers questions like this. I also think DeSantis, the answer that he gave to Tucker Carlson on Ukraine, will put a lot of, 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 of people at ease because that's always when you're a governor running for office that's or running for president. That's always the area where you're the least tested. 
is in foreign policy. And so you always have to articulate those things. The one, the one example I can think of that wasn't the case was Reagan because Reagan had spent the, the proto period of his political career leading up to when he first ran for governor of California, giving speeches around the country on behalf of American corporate interest, uh, anti-communist speeches, anti-socialism speeches. I mean, his, his views on the Soviet Union were already very well defined. And that was the, that was the main rubric of foreign policy in his era. That aside, anytime a governor runs, they have to be vetted in this area because we don't know. So I, I think the fact that you haven't seen any of Trump's simps attack DeSantis's answer is indicative of the, of the fact that that is an answer that will absolutely line up with where the majority of the base is. On an issue they're very, very pissed off about. So, I mean, this is, this is going to be fascinating to watch. And one of them's going to have to pivot at some point. Either we'll find out that enough Republicans are pissed off about Trump's bailouts, which got us started on the economic road we're on today, his lockdowns, Operation Warp Speed's the most destructive domestic policy of my lifetime, and that's before we even get to how it was used as a sledgehammer against individual liberty. But at some point, the DeSantis people are going to find out that there may be enough Republican voters that they can, they can prosecute the case based on records. And they'll go down that road. And if, and if that's the case, then Trump will be forced to pivot and have to come up with, have to defend his record and not just run on, uh, run as if he has uh, never been president before, which is what he's doing right now. Or the DeSantis people may do the math and find out there really aren't enough Republicans who want to litigate based on records, and we've already got them anyway. So where are the rest of the Republican voters at? Well, they're the kinds of people in suburbs of places like Phoenix that didn't want to vote for Carrie Lake for governor and didn't want to support a lot of the Trump-anointed candidates around the country. So we're going to have to run an electability message at them. Trump can't win. I got 60% in Florida. I can win. At, what, at some point, that pivot is going to happen. And then it's just a matter of which side, as you like to say, Todd, from um, Hunt for Rod October, hardest part of playing chicken is knowing when to blink, all right? You know? And then, because what will happen is, if, this, if, Trump, if Trump has to blink and start defending his record, then DeSantis is going to make the case, hey, you know why he's defending his record? Because mine's better. If DeSantis blinks and essentially starts making more of the traditional Fox News electability argument, Trump's going to go back to his base and say, see, he's who I thought he, I told you he was all along. Had him sized up correctly. One of them will have to blink. And you, it'll be folks like you and audiences like this around the country. You're going to be the ones to determine which one of them it will be and when. Let's move on. The Biden clip and what he said yesterday about gender mutilation of children is very simply the most, in my opinion, the most satanic thing that's ever been said from the U.S. presidency. Agree or disagree? Yeah, and in light of what we mentioned yesterday, what the Pope said, uh, the, the, the president has excommunicated himself again, multiple times. The church just recognizes what people do to themselves. It, it is simply a matter of souls 
that the president of the United States be formally excommunicated. You can't have Catholics, Christians of all stripes, seeing this play out in front of you, seeing the president, the Catholic president call not transgendering children evil. You can't let that stand. I agree with that. You know, on the other hand as well, I mean, in the same day, and we'll, again, we'll get into this a little bit later. On the same day, you had, again, Donald Trump basically labeling Ron DeSantis as, as his chief concern, chief worry. And that has been apparent ever since the aftermath of the midterms. On the same day, you have the highest echelon of Democrats, the president of the United States, labeling you as, quote, sinful. Mm-hmm. Which goes right you to Todd's point there. You, yeah. you haven't you haven't even announced your candidacy yet. I don't think you could ask for much better branding if you're if you're Ron DeSantis at this point, not even having announced your like I said, announced your candidacy. But I would agree that's demonic. You want to look no further. I, I'm seeing this video and I, I can't remember who exactly it was that produced this, but took that video of Joe Biden talking about how wonderful transing the kids are. Put it side by side with pictures of skin grafts from the forearm oh. and chest scars. Oh. Yeah, you're damn right it's demonic. Straight from the pit of hell. Theologian, buddy of mine, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson is going to join us next. Stay tuned. Make sure to check out our friends over at Constitution Wealth. Together, they will work with you to create a financial plan that is based on values. Because when you align your money with your values, you win on both fronts. Go to investwithcw.com slash Steve. That's CW for Constitution Wealth. Investwithcw.com slash Steve. Again, investwithcw.com slash Steve. Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, he is a New Testament scholar, president of the Christian Thinker Society, dean of spiritual development at uh, Prestonwood Christian Academy, Prestonwood Baptist Church, author of about a dozen books, including this one, his latest, Body of Proof, The Seven Reasons to Believe in the Resurrection of Jesus and Why It Matters Today. And it is a pleasure to have you on the show again, brother. How you been? Steve, I can't think of a better show to launch uh, Body of Proof on this release day than being with you. You are a Christian thinker, and I love being with you. You know, we did War of World Views, we did Unimaginable, and now we're talking about the best thing we can talk about, the resurrection of Jesus. This is something that, uh, that, that I have said before. In fact, I was just saying this to an audience I spoke to uh, over the weekend. This is, this is what makes Christianity unique, Jeremiah, and why... Even though we are, we are called the second greatest commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, invariably, 
we don't play well with others in syncretistic cultures, even if we're not the ones pushing the argument, because there's a unique origin of Christianity. It is different from every other religious system that has ever been devised or revealed to mankind, which really is is based on the credibility of its own creeds, its own doctrines. In, In this case, Christianity is based on the objective assertion of a supernatural fact. Did did the only true living God of the universe supernaturally reach his hand into human events to take himself in corporal form, who was once dead, and then raise him physically back to life? Did this event actually occur or not? If it did, then proceed to next steps. Then pay attention to our creeds, our doctrines, our dogmas, our claims. If it did not, then there is no next step. Even our, even our own scriptures say if that didn't happen, there isn't a next step. Paul says that very clearly, right? Okay. If that happened, if it didn't happen, then we're all idiots. Okay. So that makes it a very unique in an era of your truth and my truth. Christianity says, well, is this the truth? Did this event happen or not? You're exactly right. And let's make no mistake, Steve, there are 260 chapters in our New Testament. And again, our Christian faith is based in evidence. There are over 300 passages on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus and also why it matters today. And you rightly state, because you're a Christian thinker, Steve, it is the key that unlocks all of theology. It unlocks all the ordinances, the sacraments, the dogma of our faith. It all comes out of the cut and thrust of a historical fact that Jesus physically bodily rose from the grave either on April 7, AD 30 or April 5th, AD 33. We can go to the very date. And unfortunately, and this is why I love your show. This is why I wanted to launch Body of Proof on your show. The resurrection of Jesus is understudied by most believers. It's underpreached by most pastors. Unfortunately, we only hear about the resurrection on Easter Sunday or at a funeral service. And yet there is a great body of evidence to believe in the fact of Jesus' physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so, Steve, as you know, I did my doctoral studies uh, at Oxford. I did a 93,000-word thesis on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's been published academically. But I wanted a book for Christians that in about three and a half hours of reading, you're going to be fully up to date, not just on the best evidences for the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, but why the resurrection of Jesus is the key to our activism. It's the key to our ethics. It's It's literally what fuels your show. Mm -hmm. If Jesus rose from the dead, which he did, it's a fact of history and it changes everything. I love that one of your chapters is titled, If the Disciples Invented the Story of Jesus' Resurrection, They Did a Terrible Job. (laughs) Explain that to our audience. Yeah. And again, friends, this is not an assertion. I I presented this original paper at an academic conference full of, if you ever go to Society of Biblical Literature, it's full of crazy Bible scholars. It's full of conservative ones, liberal ones, about 5,000 to 10. And I presented this paper that if the disciples wanted to create or falsify a religion in the first century called Christianity, they did a terrible job. In fact, nobody believed in resurrection in the Roman 
Roman Empire of the first century, nobody, you know, we're so used to the walking dead and zombies and being entertained by people coming (laughs) back from the dead. Nobody was entertained by that. So that's a terrible talking point. Secondly, don't forget, even in Judaism, they taught better to burn the Torah than teach it to a woman. So if you're going to have your greatest fact of history, the center point of a Christian worldview, if you're going to have that fact be witnessed by anyone, you're going to choose the Pontius Pilate, you're going to choose the Jewish high priest, even the Sadducees, you are not going to choose women. And listen, if we're going to tell the story right, Steve, we're not going to have the disciples abandoning Jesus, running scared. Mm -hmm. Remember, Peter occasionally was a cussing Christian, like some of us who are watching right now, but Peter also occasionally spoke for Satan. Remember when Peter said, you're not going to the cross, Lord, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So it's not even what his disciples expected. This is why as a historian, as a scholar who doesn't privilege the New Testament text, and let me be careful what I mean by that, I look at it through the critical lens that I would the Hadith, the Sirah, or any of the Muslim writings. I look at it through the critical lens of any other historical documents, the Christian documents stand the test of history because they didn't make up the story. They shared it. It's sobering detail, kind of embarrassing detail at times because that's what actually happened. And so I roll out this pass. I roll out and I show then how later works, what you might call the apocryphal gospels in Oxford. We don't say that because that's pejorative. Don't you know, we call it extra canonical gospels. They come through and say, Second, these are the Dan Brown Da Vinci Code Gospels that come through. And what do they have? Jesus is a giant, polymorphic Christology. They have Jesus appearing to Pontius Pilate. They fill in all the embarrassing gaps that the actual authentic Gospels seem to leave out. And again, as a historian, we're in the right place, the right time. Jody Magnus, Steve, who is an atheist archaeologist, and by the way, most archaeologists working in Israel are atheist or agnostics. That's hard to believe. Guess what six books they use? to make sure their very expensive archaeological excavations are happening. They use Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and this first century historian by the name of Flavius Josephus. Mm -hmm. And so these are historical documents. And Jody Magnus, who's an atheist archaeologist at University of North Carolina, when she looks at the entire juridical procedure as laid out in the Gospels, she says the Gospels get it right. And so I need Christians to understand, this is the whole passion of the book, the center of a Christian worldview. And Steve, this is why I love your program, and I love how God is raising you up specifically this year with the new movie coming out with everything. The center of a Christian worldview, make no mistake, is Jesus' physical bodily resurrection from the dead. And most Christians have never gotten beyond their Sunday school understanding. They can't share the evidence of why we believe that Jesus came back to life. And so that's what I'm hoping to change with my new book, Body of Proof. Why does it have to be, and thank you for the kind words, by the way, why why does it have to be a physical a bodily resurrection and not just a, a spiritual one, a, a metaphorical well, again, one. This is why we have to read the Bible with first century eyes. We have to read the New Testament as if we were living at the time of Jesus. The Jews had ghost stories. There were phantoms. There were superstitions, even in Judaism. Why am I going back to Judaism? Because Jesus and Christianity emerged out of Judaism. It has to be physical. 
in fact, my good friend Tom Wright in the, in the UK spent 500 pages doing nothing but arguing in the resurrection of the Son of God that Jesus' body is physical. It's the only way to interpret it. But you have to understand there are liberal Bible scholars. That seems like an oxymoron to be <laughs> a liberal and a Bible scholar, but we see it every week in churches that are liberal as well. Um, in fact, when I defended my thesis way back in 2012 in Oxford, Steve, a Markan scholar, that means he's a scholar in the Gospel of Mark, looked at me and he said, Jeremiah, do you actually believe the resurrection of Jesus happened, or is that just imaginative storytelling? And I said, Professor Telford, absolutely, I believe the resurrection of Jesus physically, bodily occurred in history. It's an event of history. He said, I don't see it that way. And so it's pejorative. They want to compromise with the liberal thought of the day and say, well, Jesus was an apparition or, um, you know, he was a ghost. He was a phantom. No. When we study the 138,000 words in the Greek New Testament, we see always it is soma. It is bodily. And so guess what? Those of you who are watching and listening to this program all over the world right now, we can talk about our dead loved ones who died in Christ in the present. That's why we call cemeteries cemetery. Steve, did you know that the word cemetery comes out of Christianity? It's koimaterion in Greek. It means dormitories, sleeping rooms, because we will rise again. The promise that we are given more than any other in the New Testament is John 14, 19. Jesus said, because I live, you're going to live also. That is the promise that unlocks our faith. It makes us bold. It makes us bold as a lion like you, Steve, to stand against evil, to stand against Satan and his schemes. It makes us fearless in the face of evil because we know we're on the winning side. Jesus is risen. Final thing I'll ask you about the book, and we put you on the spot, put you in the in the in the place of one of our viewers, one of our listeners. All right. Um, Easter weekend, you all get together as a family, a skeptic in your family is, comes up and says, you know, why do you believe this? And, 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 has, and everybody's got short attention spans, right? Phones get a buzz, right? right? You got a minute. You got a yep. minute to make your first initial case to then make a larger case later to instantly get their attention with the credibility of your argument. What do you say? You cannot explain the change in the Roman Empire apart from the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Jesus called it. He predicted it. Mark 8, 31, Mark 9, 31, Mark 10, 33 and 34. Jesus showed he demonstrated resurrection power. Luke 7, Mark 6, John 11. And then it's the only way to make sense of the suffering in the world. Romans 8, 18. Paul said, I count the sufferings of this world to not be compared with the glory that's to come in the resurrection. All of the archaeology and technology attestation. There's no way to explain it other than a physical bodily resurrection. And it's the only way we can explain the hot, especially in a family setting. I would, I would just end with this. What would it take for you to believe your brother's the son of God now? Now, Steve, you know, I have triplet boys and I have four sons. None of them would think the other one was the son of God. James <laughs> didn't either. In fact, James did not believe on him. He thought his brother was a nut job. Mark three, Mark six, John seven, verse five, not even his brothers believed on him. James Josephus, a first century historian, tells us that in AD 62, James, the brother of Jesus who watched Jesus grow up, dies by stoning, believing his brother is the son of God. How do you explain that unless Jesus rose from the grave? That's how I do it in 60 seconds. That's pretty good. Maybe you should consider doing this professionally. <laughs> Let me take a breath. All right. So you were one of the first people outside of our creative circle that we let see nefarious. Uh, you, uh, you got to come to the screening we did for a bunch of our Blaze colleagues uh, back in November. Um, give our audience 
your thoughts on the movie. I am still processing watching the movie Nefarious at the private screening as a New Testament theologian, as someone who has studied the dark side, exorcism, Jesus' miracles of healing and exorcism, which is the number one reason Jesus becomes famous according to all of the extant literature. Nefarious sums it all up for us. I was spellbound uh, because I know who I am in Christ. I actually found the movie even humorous at times with how true it portrayed what life is really like. Demonic possession, demonizing is a real factor today. You better believe it. But greater is Jesus in me than he who's in the world. My 13-year-old daughter, Lily Faith, she's in seventh grade at Prestonwood Christian Academy. She is going to be seeing Nefarious with Dad, with me. I would encourage parents of teenagers, you have to take your children to see Nefarious. Listen, they're watching far, far more strange things on their cell phones that they touch 2,000 times a day. Nefarious, I like how I heard it's as if screw tape letters and exorcists had a baby. That's the movie. And of course, living in Oxford, I have a great love for screw tape letters. But Steve, the excellence of the writing, and I know it all bursts out of your incredible book, Nefarious. So I just have to compliment you for coming up and getting the cultural conversation where it needs to be. There are demonic evil forces behind these idea systems. Remember, Winston Churchill's 1943 Harvard address said the empires of the future will be empires of the mind. He said that in his wartime address. So we have these ideologies that are evil and active in our world and nefarious. I mean, I, I couldn't move. There were no humanity breaks for me during this movie because I just wanted to see it. I wanted to keep watching. And you know what? It should make us a little uncomfortable. It should challenge us. We should leave processing it. And if you're a believer in Christ, this is a tool for you that you have to use. I plan on packing out a theater myself. I can't wait to see how God's going to use it. Bold prediction. People are going to be talking about this movie for years to come. I believe pastors should do teaching series on it in their church. Do I believe? youth groups should go see this movie even though it's rated R? Absolutely. Guess what? Read the Gospels and you might be reminded of Jesus encountering de demons in the scriptures as well. Wow. That's that's incredible, brother. Thank you very much. And well, thank you for doing such a great job with the movie. It was fabulous. The score, the sound, the screenwriting, the acting. Seriously, I mean, I don't have to say this. I want to. It's it's a blessing to see how God's going to use this movie. Everybody needs to be buying their tickets now, sharing that preview. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and thank you also for taking the the most important event in human history that either did or did not happen. If it didn't happen, it's still the most important event because it shaped exactly. the entire globe based on uh, the, the actions of those who believed that it did. So this is the most important event in human history that did or did not happen. And to, and to distill it down into something that is easily digestible um, for the average person uh, to consume at the same time. Uh, thank you for that. It's called Body of Proof. The seven best reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus and why it matters today from uh, my buddy, Dr. Jeremiah J. Johnston down there in Dallas. Good to see you, brother. Thank you very much and good luck with good the book. All right. I'll see you soon for the premiere, my man. You will. We'll see you down there on April the 4th. You bet. Thank you. Bless. Thoughts on our conversation on Jeremiah as we head towards, we're just a couple of weeks away here uh, from Holy Week. And this is, it's the most important event in human history that either did or didn't happen. Because literally how we told time as humans, calendars, 
I mean, fundamental aspects of human existence were forever altered by those who believed it did. So even if you don't believe that it did, it's still the most important event in human history, whether it happened or not. You, uh, everything you talked about reminds me of uh, Flannery O'Connor, a uh, famous author, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike uh, lover. She once said, and she's Catholic, she once said about the Eucharist, uh, well, if it's just a symbol, well, then the hell with it. Well, apply that kind of reasoning to what he, he said. Before you read the Gospels and Jesus' teachings about anything, either Christ is cruci- uh, crucified and risen again or not. If he's not, really, then the hell with it. What are we talking about here? We don't need a life coach. Mm-hmm. He rose from the damn grave. And we do. he's absolutely right. We go to church every Sunday. And somehow we walk out of there not understanding fundamentally how that's life-changing on every level. We'll come back. Hour two is next, beginning with fake news or not, and my daughter. Stay tuned. Back here with Hour 2, live and on demand, right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you will be joined by my oldest here in just a matter of moments. In the meantime, let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. Follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, TikTok, and Instagram. You can also find me over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. Those of you that find us via the podcast, thank you. Thank you very much. If you have yet to do so, please hit subscribe or follow. Leave us a five-star review, and we appreciate each and every one of you that have done those things for us already. This part of the show brought to you by our friends over at Jace Medical. Want to make sure, who knows, the next time they unleash something on us, and then they say, oh, yeah, and that uh, venerable uh, medication that's won even a Nobel Prize, it's suddenly poison. Don't use it. Uh, They did it once before. Looks like they're going to get away with it. depending on what the Florida grand jury comes back with. So, you know, they'll do it again, right? I mean, they keep getting away with everything. So you always get more bad behavior when you don't punish it. That's why make sure you're prepared now. The next time I might be amoxicillin, if you can even find it these days. You can find it in the Jace case, though. Doxycycline, you know, antibiotics that have been around for decades. Maybe that's, those will be the next things that their manufacturers, like Merck, sent out the press release about how dangerous ivermectin was. It wasn't so dangerous. They had just won a Nobel Prize for it, though, a few years ago. That's, that's the level of fiend we're dealing with here. So make sure you are prepared. Uh, go to jacemedical.com, J-A-S-E. J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Get the Jace case. Use the promo code DACE for a discount at checkout. Promo code DACE for a discount at the checkout at jacemedical.com. And there she is. Speaking of DACE as well, she used to be one. Now she's a Hibs. I'm still getting used to this. (laughs) My oldest daughter is back here with us again this uh, week on a Tuesday. Anastasia, good to see you. How you doing? Good. How are you doing, Dad? I am doing well. I thought this week... I'd flip the script on you and ask you a few questions, if yeah. you don't mind. No, I don't mind. It makes me a little sad because I like the TikToks. And whenever I show TikToks here, my Twitter gets boosted and more people follow me. But yeah, that's fine. Because that's what it's all about you. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least. 
still she a date is at a heart. chip <laughs> off the old block. She is. Yeah. Still just, a date at heart. Just a blunt. Yeah. Well, yes. Okay. All right. Well, then moving on. All right. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, you had a chance, uh, though, while I was out of town uh, to do our first screening for Nefarious, you had a chance to go to the first. I mean, let, let's just keep it real here. He's not. This was his first campaign event in Iowa. Yeah. They're, they're, they just are using the book tour as a soft rollout for a campaign so they can come back and do this all again later this mm-hmm. summer officially all over again the exact same things they're doing right now yeah i mean i told yeah. my husband steven i'm like you don't have book rallies okay right. you don't go and right. have a book rally but yeah so you went to ron DeSantis's. well his first event was out in the eastern part of the state but mm-hmm. then later in the day he came to our part of the state yep and so this is the first time that he has come he came out here to central iowa for what is a, a, essentially a campaign event governor reynolds was there she went to trump's event in davenport yesterday too i saw that yeah. So to, to not show, you know, any partiality, at least so far, I, I wanted to just kind of get a few takeaways from you for our audience on what you saw. OK, so in fact, let's just start there. All right. What would you say were the three biggest takeaways that you had from the event and what you saw there? Yeah, I think my first one is honestly his ability to. I think my first one would be his ability to humbly stand for the truth. And when I say humbly, I mean, he stands for the truth because it's the truth. You know, like he's not trying to gain any brownie points from anybody. He's not trying to move ahead in anything. He's like, this is the truth. So that's why I'm standing for it. That's why I'm here. That's what my faith, that's where I'm grounded in my faith in as. So I feel like that was the biggest one for me. You know, it wasn't about getting cheers and everything. And something, another thing that stood out to me was him being like, I'm not for all for the parades and for the this and for the that. And I just feel like that stood out to me because unlike other people that we know, sometimes it can be more of a glorification thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I didn't get that vibe from him. So you, as a as a young person that grew up in my household, okay, so... Um, your generation is seeking authenticity to begin with anyway, mm-hmm. and this kind of kind of senses that maybe the system you're about to inherit now as adults ain't necessarily on the up and up fair. Yeah. And then on top of growing up with me all the time, you know, you're, 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 you can't help but be, be on the lookout for, you know, people that are keeping it real or, or have other agendas yeah. or are they on mission basically? Yeah. And I, I appreciated that a lot from him because I, it felt authentic. It felt genuine to just listen to a person saying, here's the things I'm doing in my state and I'm doing them because I'm standing for truth, not okay. for this, not for that. So that's probably my first one. All right. Number two. Um, my second one, I, I had written down for myself, his ability to lead. But what I primarily mean by that is that he really gained respect from the audience. So the audience that was there, nobody was really crazy or shaking their heads like he, everybody was hanging off of every word that he said and cheering for him. But again, going back to the first point, he still had a humble attitude about himself, but he had gained their respect. So I feel like I appreciated that as well, because it wasn't a bunch of talking points. It wasn't a bunch of statements just to get everybody riled up for no reason So I feel like that was my second one, that he gained people's respect by, again, going back to my first point, standing for the truth. Okay. And number three. Um, Number three, I think he has a great way of honing in his passion and anger for things and using that for good. So I think he 
had a great way of staying on his message, staying on the truth. It wasn't this rabbit hole or that rabbit hole or I did this and I did this. It wasn't like a show. It was very much I'm angry about this. I'm passionate about this because, again, going back to the first point, that's truth. So I think he has a great way of taking his emotions but honing in on them and focusing in on the bigger picture rather than attacking people or little snippets of this or that. So I I think that, honestly, number three is probably my biggest one, is just that he had an ability to take what he was angry about, take what he was passionate about, but focus it in rather than letting it control how he was on stage, control how he acted, control his words. He was very poised, passionate, but poised. If I asked you to give me a one-word description of your first impression of Ron DeSantis, seeing him up close and personal, what would it be? I would probably say brave, honestly, because it can be like him and Kim talked a lot about how the media really comes after them a lot of the times and how you know difficult that can be when you're just trying to do what's right and stand for the truth and that can take bravery but i also think it takes a certain amount of bravery when people are attacking you at such a high level to stay poised and not get angry and it goes back to what i said in number three is taking that and honing it on just the main focus the main mission rather than taking all of the things people are saying and letting it run your emotions run your talk how did you see him with people I mean, I was big on real retail politics, meaning mano y mano. Okay, um, I, you know, I've heard even from people in Florida that absolutely love him and think he's a great governor. Um, he can he's not necessarily the most personable in in those sorts of settings, um, and um, almost can treat them as if it's a distraction from getting back to his mission. Does that make mm-hmm, sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. Did did so? It's a fine line. You don't want somebody that relishes the spotlight so much that it's just all driven by ego. But you have to relish it somewhat, otherwise people think you're aloof and not personable, right? Mm-hmm. So, how did you see that? How did he? How did he engage people from what you saw? I mean, well, Stephen and I got a chance. My husband Stephen and I got a chance to go backstage and meet him. So I think it was really nice to see him in person and kind of, even though it was quick because he did have his event coming up, mm-hmm. he was very kind. I mean, he made Stephen's night. Stephen like lost his mind over me. <laughs> he's not been exposed to any of this before. No, and we walked away. And the longer like, you guys are married, he's going to end up just hating all these people on site. But for now, it's kind of, it's innocent yeah. and patriotic. Yeah, and yes, he, yeah, I mean, Stephen walked away saying he was like, my body froze. I just didn't know how to act. He was like, my heart froze. But um, no, he was very kind, um, very funny. But I also think coming from when he was talking on stage, his ability to, it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was an interview between him and Kim and it was just their conversation. Mm -hmm. He was very personal with the audience, talking with them and, and sometimes would go off on little like family stories and silly stories like that. So that was nice to hear as well. It wasn't random rabbit trails. It was very much like, let me tell you about my kids. Let me tell you about my wife. So I feel like that made it personable as well, that he was addressing the audience in those situations and not just, I'm here to focus on my thing and then talk with Kim and then leave. It was like, let me tell you the story really quick or let me tell you about my wife. So I think that was really nice too. All right. Do you guys want to ask any, any anything about uh, what, what she saw before we let her go? Well, you're surrounded by other people as well would you 
imagine their reception to, I mean, that's part of our jobs is to go to those environments and watch what other people mm-hmm. are thinking, how they're reacting. Set you aside. What's your take on how p- did people receive him, how you thought they would? Any pleasant surprises? Uh, or disappointments for that matter? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No disappointments. I thought everybody received him very well. Um, certain people that I knew that I saw there that I was curious to see how they would react were cheering and excited. And especially I, I feel like as a girl, I paid attention more to the girls, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this woman like sitting right in front of us and she was very into it and nodding and she was excited and everybody there seemed happy. I mean, nobody was booing and nobody was rude or anything. Everybody seemed to really respond to what he was saying and I think it helped too that him and Kim really stood out on all the COVID stuff and they kind of joked about their uh, nicknames during that time like COVID Kim and Death Santas and everything but yeah I mean I think the audience really responded to everything really well all right I have one quick question how much of DeSantis's comments do you could you tell were off the cuff or unscripted Mm, that's a good question I, I would honestly say the ones that I could tell were that were off scripted or off the cuff were when he spoke about his family. I think that's when it felt a little bit more personable to him when he was talking about his family or sharing stories about that. He kind of did a little bit of an opening monologue. So that definitely seemed a little bit scripted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I when... Kim was asking him questions and they were going back and forth you could really tell he got into the stories about his family and everything which I feel like I respected more that they weren't like scripted stories at least to me they didn't seem like scripted stories about his family it was more so you're asking me this question I'm going to relate this to my family or tell you guys a story about my family Hmm. all right thank you princess yeah no problem all right good stuff all right let's get to fake news or not brought to you by our friends over at Tommy John all right, folks, the best endorsement. Yeah, you know, they always send me these long Tommy John scripts, and they're great. Here's the bottom line. I cannot give a product any better of an endorsement, no matter how good the writing is, than this. I buy it myself. I, I, I can't do any better than that. I mean, I, they gave me three pairs of underwear when they came to us, what was it, about four years ago for the first time, and said, hey, try this out, see what you think. I was blown away by how good it was. And so the only underwear I have bought ever since is Tommy John. I'm wearing it right now, in case you were wondering. And if you were, what the hell is wrong with you? All right, but that's not important now. <laughs> All right. So Tommy John right now, find out why they have fanatics, not just customers. So many five-star reviews. You can go and uh, check out their new spring designs. They've got great loungewear. They've got stuff for the ladies as well. Uh, go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve. Get 20% off your first order. TommyJohn.com slash Steve. If you've never gone before, go there now. TommyJohn.com slash Steve. 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Steve. All right, gentlemen, let's get to fake news or not. It's a good segue from the conversation we were just Mm -hmm. having. Aaron highlighted this a little bit during the opening montage, but let's go a little bit more in depth as um, just again to reset uh, the president, former president Donald Trump uh, made. uh, I I keep messing that up because he should be the president right now. Uh, Former president Donald Trump uh, made his first campaign stop to Iowa uh, of this cycle. 
And uh, similar to what we saw in uh, it, at CPAC, the messaging again was strong. And I mean, I'd put that in all caps. I mean, he is, from a messaging standpoint, he is absolutely on his game. And then there's the part where he likes to talk about Ron DeSantis. Here's what he said in Iowa yesterday. So just to clarify, the first clip you're about to see is a video he released prior to his trip to Iowa. The second one oh, that's is, right. Thank is, you. are his comments in Iowa. Thank you. For those of you that didn't notice, Florida was doing great long before Ron DeSantis got there. People are fleeing from New York to Florida and other places because of high taxes and out-of-control crime. It's really bad, not because of the governor. Thank you, Mr. President, for doing that. But it's not because of the governor. Florida was doing fantastically. You had a governor named Rick Scott who did a very good job. Even Charlie Crist, a Democrat, did a good job, and he had very good numbers. Sunshine and ocean are very alluring. It's not too hard to work with those factors. So just remember, Florida was doing really well long before Ron DeSantis got there. We're leaving the age where But you have to remember, Ron was a disciple of Paul Ryan who is a rhino loser who currently is destroying Fox and would constantly vote against entitlements. He would just vote against, remember that, the wheelchair over the cliffs, the Democrats used it. The wheelchair over the cliff commercial, very effective. That was about him. But Ryan, Paul Ryan's a big reason that Mitt Romney, I'm not a big fan of Mitt Romney, lost his election. And to be honest with you, Ron reminds me a lot of Mitt Romney. So. I don't think you're going to be doing so well here, but we're going to. Find- All right. So just to just to clarify on a fact, I mean, you can have your own opinion of Ron DeSantis remind you of Mitt Romney or not. And the truth of the matter is everyone reminds you of Mitt Romney because Mitt Romney has taken every conceivable position <laughs> on every conceivable issue over the course of his long and um, uh, soul crushing career. All right. Um, Ron DeSantis is one of the founding members of the House Freedom Caucus, which was specifically founded to push back against Paul Ryan and his acolytes in the Congress. All right. He's, he's one of the founding members of the House Freedom Caucus. So that is just not factually accurate. What, what, what Donald Trump said there is not true. Um, now, the rest of it, though, that's just all your own opinion. You can have whatever opinion you want, but that part is simply not true. So I wanted to correct the record on that. Everything else, though, fake news or not. And now you guys, you guys are going to now ask me, what's the context? Yours. You decide what the context is. So here's, here's where I come down on this. It's become blatantly clear that Ron DeSantis is running the type of campaign Donald Trump should be running, and Donald Trump is running the type of campaign you would think somebody like Ron DeSantis would be trying to run. I'm fascinated by this. Tell me more. Given given the circumstances. Donald Trump should be the one basically not even even, uh, giving the other candidates in the race, the time of day, or even acting like they even exist. Donald Trump should be the one doing that. Donald Trump was the one who was actually, you know, had the presidential seal in front of him and on his desk for four years, not Ron DeSantis. You should be swinging the big stick if you're Trump. Ron DeSantis, on the other hand, is acting like he has the big stick. 
He won't even he won't even say Trump's name. I don't even know if I've heard Ron DeSantis since the midterms when Trump started upping his attacks. I'm not even sure if Ron DeSantis has uttered Donald Trump's name in public. Can you think of a single occasion? It's probably happened somewhere. I can't think of a not single, this calendar year s- single occasion. Yeah. When that's happened. Now, he's addressed things indirectly, but he's never uh, never uttered Donald Trump's name. If you're the guy with the record fine uh, with the record of the office that you're vying for again, you should be the one who's soaking up all the oxygen and not giving any oxygen to anyone else. If you're the guy trying to get that office, but you don't have that experience, you're the one who's actually trying to punch up. The shortest way of saying this, Donald Trump continues to punch down, or at least should be, uh, this should be a punch down. But instead, it, it, it comes off as if he's punching up. Ron DeSantis should be the one who's punching up. But the way that he's run his campaign so far, seems like he's the one who's actually sucking up all the oxygen in the room and not punching down at anything. So I, I and I just think Donald and I'll add this as well. I think it's because Donald Trump can't help himself. He could be doing what Ron DeSantis is doing in terms of his affect towards this campaign, this strategy towards the campaign. He could be doing that. I don't think he can, he can help himself. Having said that, he did win in 2016 doing the same type of thing. So there's that. So I loved your analysis. I think it's fascinating. I can't tell, though, if you think it's fake news or not, though. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fake news. Sir. Okay. Yeah. Todd, what do you think? It's utterly fake news. I don't find any of this... Uh fascinating it is all utterly predictable because of what aaron said he can't uh help himself he is the weather i'm not going on this roller coaster uh and uh, i pray that ron DeSantis never does either uh listen this is uh, we're gonna there's a way too much sports radio anal, uh, analysis about this real men analysis is that there's one dude there and then there's Donald Trump and just expect this the entire time and I swear to God Ron DeSantis if you if you ever pivot and do anything about electability then then I'll then I'll just go vote for Donald Trump your electability argument is done you won Florida by 20 points no one does that's that's the argument about what everything Trump said there it's the electability argument you just you, you and you don't patronize people. You say I'm not. I'm never going to patronize you with that. I'm going to tell you what I've done. I'm going to tell you what I do in the future. But I'm never going to tell you Jeb Bush style. I'm the electable one. Don't ever, ever, ever do that. No matter what Donald Trump says. No matter what advantage he gets in any news cycle. You have proven in a state like Florida that people just trust you to be a damn adult. I, that's all I want. And even if, if you lose at the end of the day, fine. I want a guy who says, I'm running for president of the state under these principles. If that's not good enough to win, I'm not going to change because it's not worth it. This is absolutely fake news. But shocker, this is this is the Donald Trump we should have gotten used to a long time ago. He will never, ever change. Don't expect him to. So I got to thinking about my own analysis last last hour about this. 
And I, I came up with a third alternative because again, I, I don't know the answers. And, and the, the thing that we really struggled with on the, on the cruise campaign is we had just never seen anything like Trump. I mean, remember, you know, our, our guy was not this kind of a pugilist. I mean, he, I mean, Ted was used to a very traditional form of of debate. And so how much of it to engage, how much to be a distraction? I mean, we probably paralyzed ourselves analysis via paralysis. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it gets, and it gets you, it's very effective um, on the right. It's not as effective on the left. Uh, going after them on the left. Um, and the reason why is because they don't care about alienating or receiving any of Trump's bases of vote. They hate him. So so they, it's easy for them to just ignore it. And you saw Biden do this in the 2020 de- debates, particularly the first one when he cleaned Trump's clock. Um, you just saw him just basically ignore it and, and yell at him. Shut your, your basically shut up douchebag and get back to, you know, his own agenda. Okay. You, you can't do that on the right because you need some of Trump's base. You need it to win in a primary. You need all of it to win in a general. And so this is very effective within primary politics. And we, and so how much of it, do you ever address it? Do you let it get completely off of, because it distracts you from your own message. You're trying to gauge how much of it should I respond to, right? I wonder, thinking about this more, you know, I talked about last hour, Trump is essentially running right now. And his messaging right now is strong. And he is running right now as if he was never president. He's not even attempting to reconcile his record with his talking points. He is just handing, it's like a MAGA greatest hits right now, man. And like, a, it, you know, it's, and it's like a, it, it's a reunion tour, but it's not like listening to the Eagles right now with Vince Gill, which are okay, but they ain't the same thing. It's like Glenn Fry is still alive and this is the Hell Freezes Over tour and they still kind of got it. And that kind of a reunion. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's how it sounds right now. It's good. It's good stuff. All right. Um, but I wonder if actually the DeSantis counter is to is to run as if Trump's not in. The, if Trump's going to run as if he was never president, then I'm going to run as if he's not in the race right now. I'm never going to address it. Never happening. Even on the debate stage, unless we're one on one, which Trump will never allow. Right. He would never allow Cruz to get one on one. Even when we were the last two candidates left. There always had to be Rubio or Kasich there. Um, so I don't, I can't foresee a scenario where Trump would permit himself to go on a stage one-on-one with Ron DeSantis under any circumstances. So unless I get that one-on-one shot, I'm just, I run a general election campaign from day one. I have a record. I don't have to, I don't have to sew up my conservative bona fides. I have a record. All right. And I, and it, and it, and, and, and that record was not running some podunk red state, Okay, mm-hmm. where, I mean, I, it's like what he said today. There isn't it. For the first time in the state of Florida's history, there is not a single statewide elected official in the state that's a Democrat. Nowhere. He just annihilated their party. Just destroyed it. So I just run as if I'm the nominee from day one. I just run a general election campaign from day one. I never address Donald Trump. I never confront him. Ever. I don't have to. He gets away with running as if he was never president, so there doesn't have to be a reconciliation of what he did before and after March 16th of 2020, then I'm going to run as if he's not a candidate right now. And I'm just going to let my own record speak for itself. And I'm running a general election campaign from the moment I get in the race in June until the day I'm out of it, whether that is on election day, you know, win or lose, or I'm, I bow out, you know, next spring or summer of 2024 after Trump beats me, I'm just running a general election campaign from day one. What do you think of that strategy? 
Well, so far, by default, that's what he's done, and it's painted the scenario that Aaron uh, gets correct. Things are reversed. It looks like Donald Trump is uh, constantly pulling away from what you say is red meat messaging that we know works and people are hungry for, and he can't even stay on message with that, and he's nipping at Ron DeSantis's heels. Like, what? Why would you not do that? That's this whole thing is fascinating to me. But if, if we end up with a primary where one guy has been president and runs the entire gets away with running the entire time as if he never was, and then the other guy who's never been president gets to run the entire campaign as if he already is, <laughs> right? I, I don't. I, I I have no predictions on how that will turn out. I I don't have a clue. I don't know how people will react to something like that. I just respect. A guy so much who's like on the on the one hand if there's just this donald trump was we've we've talked about this donald trump was wronged this election was stolen this needs to be righted there's there's ron DeSantis as a guy is just hopefully telling himself i can't do anything about that i and and, and so the I, only way I, to win the game is and, not to play is I, what we're I, saying so, yeah i'm not going to do that and, and so if he wins on that front i can't do anything about that Short of just do- deconstructing myself, and I don't want to do that because I'm a guy named Ron DeSantis, accountable to God first, and I have a record. And, yes, and then secondly, the wor- that's a best case. A worst case is there's the low information voter uh, you're talking about. I've got to get down on that level. I also am not going to do that. I've uh, this, there's proof of concept here. I just did this in Florida. That's good enough. Now I'm yeah. going to say what I did, and I'm going to say where I'm going to do it here. I'm going to have explicit ideas, and I'm not going to do anything else. And I got, if I lose, fine. I want that man. I want a man who's, I'm not going to turn myself into something God does not want me to be. Hmm. Yeah, I, I want DeSantis to run that type of campaign, because then I, I feel like, I mean, no matter how effective your attack is on on Don, uh, on Donald Trump. He is Teflon Don for a reason. It just doesn't stick either because of the shamelessness or his mm-hmm. ability to pivot. So keep your hands off. I will say, and we'll maybe have to end on a cliffhanger. Would you agree? Cause I think there is a difference. Would you agree? There's a difference between campaign strategy and debate strategy because you can't, sure. you can't, I don't think you can carry that campaign strategy that we just laid out for DeSantis. You can't carry that onto a debate stage when he's standing right there, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can. It has to be modified to some degree, right? Like you can't go. Here's what, here, here's what I can tell you being on the cruise debate team. Here's what you can't do. You can, you can have a debate performance elevate your overall campaign narrative. You cannot have a debate performance distract from it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you can't be one person on the debate stage and with right. one you know narrative and another that won't work, right? That doesn't happen. You know, this is going to be really fascinating to watch. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. Proud to be partnering with our friends over at Preborn. Yes, we overturned Roe. No, the battle against child ritualistic sacrifice is still not over. Our friends over at Preborn have saved over a couple hundred thousand children over the last 16 years with a simple method. 
telling the truth in love. Like actually telling the truth. Now, when we say it nowadays, often in the church, we mean don't tell anybody any truth. Just be nice. Right? That's typically what tell the yes. truth in love means. Don't tell anybody anything true. Uh, just be nice to them. Just okay? a bit outside. Yeah. No, they walk, they confront. They confront. They may not be as confrontational as say I am, but they're confronting mothers carrying their babies, considering abortion. Nevertheless, they confront them with the reality of that ultrasound and the sound and the, and the, and the look of seeing on that screen, a heartbeat. We're confronting you. Do you know, sweetie, do you know that you're carrying a child? Do you want, you don't want to kill your baby, do you? That's a confrontation. So that convicts the conscience about 80% of the time. And then they, they, they show the love again after the baby is born with a, the support that those young mothers in crisis need. We often act as if the big win is letting the baby be born. That, that's a big win, but the battle there is not over either. Uh, they do all this, by the way, free of charge which means they need funding and donations from people like us. If you would like to donate, dial pound 250 and use the keyword baby on your mobile phone. Pound 250, keyword baby on your mobile phone, or give them a call. I'm sorry. Go to their website, preborn.com slash Steve. That's preborn.com slash Steve. All right, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. What a week we had this week with Nefarious. We uh, had a Twitter takeover yesterday. We were trending worldwide all day long, all night long on Twitter yesterday. I mean, seeing some of the reactions now. uh, We have TikTok feeds that are approaching 1 million views of the trailer. I mean, this this thing has gone incredible. And, And it's this trailer right here that has certainly elevated the exposure of our upcoming movie. Hello? You should have accepted my offer, James. (laughs) Execution scheduled for 11 p.m. He's trying to convince us he's gone insane. And therefore incapable of being executed. I need you to prove he's faking it. Edward? I'm gonna ask you some questions. I'm not Edward. I'm a demon. Demons aren't really a thing. What happened to Edward? We own him. We? (laughs) He's a master manipulator. You have your head so twisted around you think you're the killer, not him. And give me something to make me believe you. Prove to me you're a demon. It's probably just a coincidence. I want to talk to the real Edward. Makes me do bad things. I can't stop him. I need you to see something. You got a fan. Did the same thing with all his victims. I'm trying to, Edward, but you have to answer my questions. You have to tell me the truth. It won't let me. It can go away. It can go away. Yes? No. It's starting to happen. Can you feel it, James? Can you feel it? 
we tell you exactly what it is that we'd like you to do. You know, I've watched this trailer like 50 times, and it's the first time I noticed, because I know what is going to happen in that scene there at the very end of the trailer. Do you guys see this shadowy figure walking behind Mm -hmm. James? Okay, because I I know what's coming in the next scene, right? And so it looks almost like that's kind of a creepy visual, Mm -hmm, you know, Mm -hmm. where James has this look on his face, and who is this figure approaching? I had never noticed that before. I had never noticed it until just watching it just now. So, um, uh, the early reviews we have received for the film have been absolutely incredible. I want to, I want to share a few of these, uh, with you. Um, this is from, uh, this is from Jacob Miller. Uh, he says, really the script is the foundation of this movie. Uh, I don't know how it could have possibly been better written, uh, than it was, um, Flannery's performance, uh, was absolutely incredible. And um, the way he seamlessly switches between personalities uh, and, and, and speaks with each with such confidence, it was nothing short of spectacular. Uh, when this movie hits Toledo, I am definitely uh, taking my wife and people I know to watch it. Uh, again, that is from Jacob. This is from uh, this is from Joe. I stopped going to Hollywood movies because I got sick of all the leftist woke innuendos and messages slipped into every movie I've seen for 20 years. And nefarious, I find myself grinning often, thinking finally the tables have been turned. Uh, meaning that we're now slipping in the innuendos and the messages. <laughs> That's what he means. And yes, he's correct. That is exactly what we did. Uh, I will definitely uh, go see it again with some friends when it officially opens. It was an excellent movie, engaging from beginning to end. Uh, That is from Joe. Uh, James says, uh, the two main actors did a phenomenal job. Uh, It felt like a a crime drama like Primal Fear or Fallen. Um, The direction uh, that you guys took, I believe, can appeal to the faith-based crowd, even with its R rating. My wife and I have been talking have been talking on and off about it ever since we left the theater. This movie is going to confront believers every bit as much as non-believers. And sometimes in order to plant seeds, you need to till the hardened soil. And I believe this movie does exactly that. That's a great review. Thank you, brother. Uh, this one is from uh, this one's from Mark. The writing of the movie was unbelievably well done. Um I love how he began, how he began, how he began uh, his review. I brought my wife along, who is not a listener of your show. Uh, she doesn't like listening to news or politics. She views everything as biased or jaded. She's never even seen the trailer. Um, and she absolutely loved the entire movie and thought the acting was superb. She was blown away and felt comp- compelled to urge others to go see the movie when it came out. I don't want to say any more of what's in his review because he's addressing specific scenes and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, Over and over again, we heard how good the acting was over and over again. I heard um, if there was, if this was from any other worldview, Sean Patrick Flannery would get nominated for an Academy Award. I think we're going to, we're going to officially 
nominate him for consideration for next year anyway? Just because it'll piss them off. You know, why not? Just do you it for that to. reason. Yes. But um, the level of, 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 of script writing, acting, people just continuously told me all evening long after the movie. It's just beyond what they are used to from, well, when people like us make movies. It's, 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 it, it, it raises the bar of what will be expected moving forward. You had me at beyond what you're used to on every front. I mean, that's the thing. It, it, then you're used to... Remember when I say, uh, I don't want to go back to normal. Normal is what got us here. That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. You're used to absolute garbage. Uh, and you you must demand better uh, going forward. Otherwise, the clock strikes midnight. Heard from several people... My wife is still talking about the movie. My husband is still talking about the movie. Um, I'm still getting notes from people telling me here several days later. You know, we're still we're still talking about it. We know we missed things. We want to go back. We want to we want to you know see it again and, and and find out what it is that we missed. Um, one of the things that I love. One of the things that someone sent me that I actually liked the most because it it really gets to why we made the movie this way. Um, and someone said, this movie is so thought provoking that I can see why it might not be good for unbelievers to see it. If, if there's not an immediate follow-up conversation that would, you know, basically point them to hope because the movie, everything that you want this culture to be confronted on just about this movie is going to do it. And his point was, the gentleman who sent this to me, I mean, I, I could see a lot of people when they're confronted with certain things. And I, I could tell you what he's talking about, but again, that would spoil the movie and I don't want to do that. But he was like, you know, people need hope after, after that level of confrontation. That's the difference between a confrontation and a condemnation, right? And Paul says there's no condemnation for those who are now in Christ. So we are confronted, but then we are offered freedom, healing forgiveness you know so we don't just carry that shame and the and the guilt and the burden with us for 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 the rest of our lives that's that's not the point of the gospel the point of the gospel is to free us from those burdens uh, not to add to them and and i hadn't thought about that until i read this gentleman's review and i think he's got a, a legitimate point to consider but that's also why we made the movie we 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 made the movie so that it would end at a point that the hard soil, as the guy that I just read a minute ago, we tilled the hard soil. We did the hard thing. And now, 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 it's, now it's time for, for grace to have its day. And that's the follow-up question, follow-up conversation. You're, you're, our biggest challenge this, in this day and age is not convincing people of the love of God They've gotten the soft sell for decades. The, the difficulty is convincing them of the, of the evilness of their own sin. This movie will confront that. It absolutely will confront that, just like the book does. And it will do it in a way similar to what the book 
the way the book does it. But that's that's not the entirety of the of the of the of the equation. There's the other variable now, and that other variable is now pointing people now that they've been confronted with the darkness pointing them to the light and that's the that's the conversation that we want you to have with them after you take them to this movie for sure you guys have any thoughts well you know you, you let the lion out of its cage you you, you can't in a two-hour movie also like establish in a whole new ecclesial framework right. uh, we can't uh, completely catechize in one hour and 40 minutes correct yes um I, 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 at the end of the day I, ours is to be faithful uh and outcomes are in fact uh for god yeah after this movie you're right be ready to be hands and feet but you know what you were supposed to be even before you ever heard of this movie hands and feet i mean nothing's changed on that front you, Ask more of yourself on every level uh, as a person of faith, because it's what you were supposed to be doing all along. I would. So I think that's thoughtful. I think that note's thoughtful. So I, I want to be sure to note that. I don't necessarily think it's true because the type of questions that this movie pro not only provokes, but it demands an answer to. I think there's going to be two responses from the unbelieving world. Uh, cool movie, bro. Uh, see ya. Uh, you know, Tiger King's back with another uh, season. Or something along the lines of, uh, I see what you try to do there. That pisses me off. I'm never watching one of these movies again. That's kind of one variety of answer. Or mm -hmm. the other, which is what I hope and I, I believe this mo movie will do, is kind of like a meat tenderizer. You are softened up. Mm -hmm. Now, if it just provoked, if it just provoked questions, I think that email would probably be more, um, more in line. Not saying that it's, you know, that's not saying that that's not necessarily um, true or thoughtful. Like I said, but because the movie provokes and demands answers. I think the ball is in the unbeliever's court to mm -hmm. some degree. Good point. Yeah. So I think I think it's kind of a both and. I, I just think because it demands answers and not just provokes questions, I, I think I think this will soften people, those who have ears to hear, those who are reachable. I think it softens them up enough to where they will then go and try to seek. And then that's then that's you know, that's our opportunity. That's our opportunity to have some of the questions and, and conversations, I should say, that the email was talking about. We generated yesterday for the movie over 69 million Twitter impressions from our Twitter takeover yesterday. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, we've had over 5,000 people enter the nefarious files contest over at whoisnefarious.com or the nefariousfiles.com. Uh, there's a mystery there that you can solve. Uh, there are cash prizes and other things there worth a uh, thousand or 2,500 bucks that you can be a part of that as well on the website. I mean, here's the thing though. I don't know how that translates to box office cause I've never made a movie mm -hmm. before. So, I mean, that seems like a lot of people to me, that's that's a lot more people than I've probably ever reached on. That's more impressions than I've probably generated on Twitter 
in the entire time I've had an account, I would guess. Okay. But, um, I, I don't know how that correlates to box office because I've never, never made a movie before. So that sounds, those sound like incredible numbers to me. I just, but I don't know how that translates to when it comes time to actually buy tickets and there's other options that you can choose from. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know? So on April 14th, we will find out. All right. On April 14th, we will find out. So thanks to all of you who uh, who shared hashtag nefarious movie yesterday as part of the Twitter takeover. That was uh, that was immensely successful, and we're all very pleased with how that turned out. And, and now we just empty the tank. One month and counting. One month and counting. We just empty the tank now with all the every last marketing dollar we have. You know, and then we sit back and find out on April 14th whether it worked or not. We're going to stick around and do overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Hall of Famer Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.